Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have 3MA founder, Troy Goodfellow. Happy 2017 to everyone. And we're also joined by freelance writer, Rowan Kaiser. Hello. Uh, so tonight, we welcome you to a new year and a new winter of wargaming. Uh, we're going to kick off with one of the more exciting war games out there right now, Ultimate General Civil War, uh, which is a sequel to one of our recent favorites from the last couple of years, Ultimate General Gettysburg. Um, Ron, I want to start with you, because I think you and I both had very leery reactions uh, when this was first announced. I remember <laughs> we were talking about it. Uh, we saw it on Twitter, and I think we were, we were IMing that night, being like, what are they doing? What, what's, what are Game Labs doing? Uh, so real quickly, like, what, what's Ultimate General Civil War uh, doing differently? Like, what's it bringing to the table that Ultimate General Gettysburg did not? And why were we so skeptical? Well, I mean, Gettysburg is a fairly special battle in a lot of ways, particularly in terms of the Civil War. It's by far the biggest it has the most you know documentation of massive turning points and so on it's basically a perfect little slice of something that can become a good tactical war game and trying to just take that engine and apply it to the entire war with all of its battles that were generally not so interesting and also include a campaign mode um seemed like a really ambitious push like is it just going to be you know the same engine with some bull runs and some shilohs and you know the various wilderness battles and so on and that seemed like it was a pretty big ask um, but it turned out that it was not that big of an ask. The engine does translate really well to most of those other battles, and uh, our skepticism was pretty unwarranted. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely concerned. I think my nightmare vision for what Ultimate General Civil War was going to be was uh, where Ultimate General Gettysburg divided the Battle of Gettysburg up into individual scenarios. Ultimate General Civil War would just somehow try to make uh, individual battles like scenario-sized, right? So I was, I was basically trying to picture like somebody uh, modeling like Antietam or Second Manassas on like a single map, a single scenario using the Ultimate General Engine, which uh, just sounded just sounded nightmarish and appalling uh, to to me. Uh, there, there are a few scenarios in the Take Command series where they give you like full army command, uh, which which almost just demonstrates like how impossible it actually is to to command uh, a Civil War scale army uh, from with any sort of with any sort of realism and without much abstraction. So I was I was concerned. Like I saw a lot of potential uh, pitfalls here. Uh, in addition to the to the fact, Troy, that like. You know, I, I think you and I tend to come from a, a similar perspective on a lot of this, which is that um, there is a problem of gigantism in strategy gaming and particularly war gaming. That that people, uh, their their eyes are bigger than their design stomachs, uh, as it were. And I was worried that this would sort of fall afoul of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ultimate General Gettysburg is just a wonderfully curated game. Um, it has. It starts with you know the meeting encounter, and then it spirals into well, what are your choices? What's the next thing? And you can also play different parts of the battle. You don't have to start all the way through, and it's just so lovingly devoted to a single battle. And it's in such great detail that I was probably not as skeptical as you both, but I was thinking, okay, 
first, there's no way they can do this for a bunch of different battles. My fear when they announced Ultimate General Civil War was, oh God, they're going to try to do this with a campaign. And they're going to try to have procedurally generated battles that are just going to look like crap and aren't going to feel real and are just going to be a mess and will not have any of that you know, tight focus that you bring uh, to Ultimate General uh, Gettysburg. Can a team as devoted to detail as you had there? I mean, that is not necessarily gigantism, but it does have that, that doesn't have the Grigsby scale, but it has the Grigsby sense of paying attention to, you know, small things, uh, placements of buildings and fences and which units are coming in where and how this possibly could play out. Some really close... Uh, loving focus on things and could they have done my worry was if you build that up to the whole war i mean yeah if they released different like ultimate general chickamauga ultimate general shiloh ultimate general fredericksburg different modules yeah i could see that that would be great i would have had no fears and you know but we add civil war to it and then i saw campaign button which wasn't at all what i expected i'm kind of happy with what they did with it um there were, you know, a few doubts going through my mind. But somehow they've made it work, and I think they did a lot of it by going back to the Sid Meier's Gettysburg model, uh, which we can talk about when we talk about how the battles are designed uh, later. I think, you know, they're, they've drawn some very, I think, valuable lessons on how to make large battles um, focused and bring your attention to the right place. I. Yeah, the Sid Meier's model is an interesting one in terms of our skepticism as well, because um, Gettysburg was a really, really good game. And then a couple of years later, I don't remember if it was for access to Antietam or someone got the engine from them, but and Antietam was released and it did not have the sort of choose your own adventure, win the battle style scenario building it tried to do it was focused on doing the entire battle of antietam mm-hmm. all at once it, it had scenarios but it wasn't built around you know win this scenario here and you get a slightly different one in the next one which is part of what made Sid Meier's Gettysburg and then Ultimate General Gettysburg so interesting is that you get these very clear alternate history ideas going forward through it and, and I think uh, they, did, they did that in answer to criticism from gamers saying well why can't I play all of Gettysburg why can't I do don't listen the to whole the gamers <laughs> yeah um, and it's you know there, there was a very good reason for saying okay for this mission you're, you're getting like six infantry groups and you've got to defend this hill and the people around you, but this is your part of the battle. And, you know, that was a very good way to do it. And what a lot of what happened with Antietam is that it showed that the engine kind of breaks down unless you have mm-hmm. these fairly clear, um, distinct units of fighting because, you know, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm commanding my troops in a war game or whatever, I just tend to throw them forward until they're gone. And that is an effective thing to do in a war game because they're not actually real people. And because I don't have another battle I have to worry about next time. All I'm worried about is winning this one right here, right now. And with the... um, With the... uh, different scenario approach that Gettysburg, both Mm -hmm. Gettysburgs took, that was, you know, something that you could do in that one little moment, but it was not something that defined the entire battle and essentially the engine had to be designed to 
withstand or break or whatever. Um, so it's it created a way to kind of avoid uh, my gaming of the system. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't like doing that. I just feel like it's the most effective way to deal with most of these things. And well, I mean that's uh, that's always sort of an issue with uh, th- like. It comes up, I think, most often around the idea of like victory locations. Like, if you hold this hex or this space or this hill at the end of the battle, no matter what else has happened, you win. And so it can literally, it can literally be like, you know, think of the movie Glory, right, where they're doing the final assault on uh, uh what is it, the fort? Um, oh shit, whatever that, whatever that seaside fort in the Carolinas is. Uh, they're doing that final assault. And they sort of like breach the breach the uh, ramparts, and they're running through the fort and kicking ass. Uh, and then they finally come, and and uh, they they, re, they arrive at sort of the last bastion, and there's like a billion Confederates there. War game logic is that if they arrive at that last bastion, and it's the last turn of that, if it's the last turn of that engagement. Those guys win. You know what I mean? Like it's a it's a huge success, and it doesn't matter that if the next hypothetical turn would 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 result in a uh, complete slaughter. Um, oh man! And then now I want to, to do for, for Fort Wagner. Yes, that would be a great battle to do. Anyway, but uh, yeah. So I mean, Ultimate General definitely like sort of addresses this issue of. If you are too profligate with your troops in scenario one, uh, the next scenario in the chain, you're going to be depleted. Uh, if you're if you're just like spending your troops, um, you know, throwing them away like you know water in the desert. Well, we should probably talk about how the campaign works. Well, well, that's so. I was talking about Ultimate General, so, uh, Ultimate General Gettysburg, which okay, has the right, chain okay. scenarios where right. like losses are. Yeah, okay, um, right. Carried yeah. over from one to the next, but let's let's dive into this campaign uh, because the campaign is uh, kind of a a huge shift uh, for this. Uh, you know, I hesitate to call it a series. This is just literally the second game, but it's a huge departure from what you find in uh, Ultimate General Gettysburg. Do you want to talk about the battles first, or do we want to talk about the uh, campaign? Uh, I think I, I feel like we have we have arrived at the campaign. Okay, I mean, the, the, the campaign is, one of my fears when I heard they were doing a campaign was, they're going to make a strategy game. They're going to add economics, they're going to add politics, and they've not demonstrated any talent for that whatsoever. And it's, are there, there haven't been a lot of really great captivating strategic level Civil War games in a long time. And I didn't think these would be the guys to do it. Uh, so they, I was happy they didn't do that at all. And the campaign is, it's a, it's an RPG, really. Uh, you start with, you give this really tough battle to win at the beginning. I think it's tough because it's goddamn skirmishers. Um, you will eventually win, lose, or draw it. And not the result, you get your results of the battle, and then you are given enough, you're given money and men to build your divisions and to build your own army out of this. You add which cores you want, make sure you have enough supply, how many cavalry units do you want so you can specialize, you, hope you can be Jeb Stewart and just build a whole cavalry army uh, and if you it's, like. It's very Panzer General-esque in that yep. your units are going to be the core of your army. army. They're coming with you to every single battle. So these are yep. like, this is almost like your personal core that you will be carrying with you in each scenario. And then 
in each scenario, there will also be some uh, like uh, forces granted to you for the purpose of the scenario. So this is kind of like you uh, almost like you almost think of it as you're building your uh, imperial right. guard. And the other units, if you want to play for full realism, you can give those over to the AI and you can just control. Uh, your own divisions, which is kind of a neat little twist. Though the AIs, we'll talk with the AI uh, in a in a bit. So you end up building up this army, and then you can, which is to go back to Rowan's point about charging forward and depleting your units. You, if you want to replenish them, it costs a lot. You lose half of a infantry brigade. You either march in with those, you know, those five hundred men you've got left, or and spend the money on some new troops, or you replenish the ones you've got. Um, and you have to decide, do you want more brigades or do you want to replace the ones you've crippled by stupidly taking a hill or charging a fortified point? There's uh, how you spend that money, how you upgrade their weapons, what rifles are available, what cannons are available. So this is an RPG where you take the you take your army, your divisions, your own army through the war from battle to battle. You can play the historical battles. You can play other battles around the area. Um and tr- you're not stopped. If you lose a battle, it's not like Panzer General, where if you lose, game over. Uh, you, 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 you just take the L and you move on to the next event. Um, so it does build up this narrative of you being a general. And you assign, you hire your own sub-officers. And I really do like how it is the story of you becoming, you building your own units and being at the right place at the right time. And you have some interesting stats that I haven't fully unpacked, like how they're going Mm -hmm. to work over the course of the campaign. But in the RPG standpoint, uh, like you start out by sort of saying what your background is. Like, what did you study at the military academy? Uh, What did you do during the Mexican-American War? And then what did you do between the wars? Uh, and that sort of, in sort of like System Shock style, uh, gives you a baseline for what your stats are. And your stats are in things like, uh, what is it, like logistics, uh, po- po- uh, political skill, um, like organization, all, all sorts of stuff that will affect um, the payouts you get from your performance in scenarios, uh, the cost of, of certain things uh, in the in sort of the army management uh, interface. Um, and I'm, I haven't unpacked how all that's going to work because I've only played a couple scenarios and it, it ultimately what it revolves around is how you're going to spend uh, money and men to, to build your army up. Uh, there are also, I think, like special things you can acquire with like influence points. Uh, so for instance, uh, I recruited um, Gibbon, uh, General Gibbon, early on in my campaign because I wanted to build the Iron Brigade, uh, basically. And so I know that he's probably going to be a good officer, and uh, so I recruited him, and he was better than your Garden Variety uh, like reserve officer. Uh, you can do things like... When this, is start to, this, starts to, this starts to get where it gets into the weeds, and I'm kind of interested in this. We'll talk about the battles in a second, uh, but you have this idea of... You have an arsenal, and in fact, you can acquire more weapons on the battlefield, which historically is what the Confederates did a lot, right? Like, the Confederacy was armed by salvaged Union weapons uh, in a lot of ways. But So what you can do is uh, you can, like, upgrade and change the equipment profile of your units uh, either by buying weapons outright or by sort of seeing what you've got lying around in your your stocks 
and uh, if you've got enough of them, re like equipping a unit with those, right? So maybe you can't afford uh, a 12-pound uh, battery of smoothbore artillery, but here's a bunch of uh, six six-pound horse artillery that you salvage from a battle, so you can build a ba you can build a uh, artillery unit out of that, uh, which is kind of interesting and weird. I have not actually succeeded in getting into the campaign because of that first scenario, and I'm more interested in the battles individually. So uh, this one's all okay. you, Troy. Okay. Yeah, I, I really do like um, the way the army construction works all the way through. I mean, it, it, this is an early access, so there's going to be a lot of balancing, I think, to do through the role-playing and through you know how everything plays out and the prices and the costs and the payouts. Uh, but this, I, I really do... I, I like the ability, the customization. I like the I like the choices I'm given. I mean, no real general would be given the option of, well, where do you want to fight today, Troy? Because I'm going to take the I'm going to take the encounter, the crossroads, because Bull Run can just bite me. Um, that was a mistake, by the way. The crossroads were a disaster. Uh, and knowing your I mean, you build your army, then the battle starts, and you said, okay, here's where the battle's set up. And here's where you're coming in, and here's what you're supposed to do. Go at it. And I'm not going to say I get really attached. I'm not at the point where I get really attached to my units yet. I don't think this is going to be an XCOM type thing where, you know, my sniper Rowan gets killed. And I think, oh, I got to reload because, God, I love Rowan. Because if, if it's just if it's no, Commander... If it's Commander Rowan leading an artillery brigade and he gets cut down, well, I'll, that's just too bad. That's that happens. You know, I probably should have defended that hill a little more, uh, but I was focused somewhere else. So I don't get really at this point. I'm not, I'm not feeling any connection to my army. They are still just building blocks, which you know maybe is appropriate for the meat grinder of the Civil War. But I think as this, and I think the campaign is very underdocumented. Um, it, uh, it's not always clear what connects to what and how do you build what is the optimal build for a division I probably need to do more reading you know how many how many supply wagons do I actually need for a division do, uh, do I need cavalry really is it important do I have to do I have to build a skirmisher uh, unit when you can detach skirmishers from your infantry brigades, which is just so awesome. You can yes. detach skirmishers, send them forward to find the enemy, and then reattach them. Um, Rather we'll than an insanely impractical skirmish formation where, like, all right, yeah. all thousand of you dudes uh, spread out. Spit out really thin, get mowed yeah. down by the first cavalry charge, and good luck. And you can detach like a couple of hundred skirmishers. They go forward. They find where the enemy is, take some spot, pot shots, and fall back. Um, and the ability... So I'm not quite sure whether building skirmishing divisions is really so important, considering we have the other uh, value there. Um, but the whole role-playing aspect of it, the whole... You are... Grant, you are Sherman, you are not McLennan, because uh, they won't let you be McLennan. They won't let you sit on your ass and do nothing for five years. Uh, developing your reputation, and your reputation will lead to the influence points, and so on and so on. 
and more importantly, the cash uh, to build a proper division. And even if you lose a battle, you get something. I mean, you're always getting better. You're always going to get a build a better, bigger and better army. There's no real penalty for losing, except you're going to be a little bit further behind. And as the battles get larger, as the war moves on, I mean, the Union especially, you're never going to be too outmanned or outgunned. Um, the Confederates have a really hard time, I think, uh, in uh, the campaign, because as you said, Robbie, they have some really... There's some limitations on the equipment. They really do need to... Ca- they they kind of really have to capture guns, um, which is a lot of fun. I really like capturing guns. But you you, you could you can take prisoners, and if you charge a, a weakened unit, a weakened enemy unit, you can take the prisoners, and then you can sell the prisoners for money, um, which goes into your pool. So there's, you know, there's, there's all of these trade-offs, uh, especially for the Confederates, on... I really need cash. I really need weapons. Is it worth this risk? Um, you know, like the, the Confederates start with better soldiers, better generals, uh, but are out, outmanned and, out, and outgunned. And it's really a very fun campaign game without getting into the problem that a lot of Civil War campaign games have by adding the things that these games are not most war game designers are not good at if they want to have the tactical battles as well, which is the political aspect, the economic aspect. Thank God there's no Navy. Um, um, I was kind of worried in the, the campaign opening scenario, there's an armored train that comes yeah. along to the Confederates and that just kicks your ass. Well, you can and, do and nothing. <laughs> I mean, and it's like, oh God, I hope I'll, I'll run into many of these and you don't run into many of them. But I was kind of worried about that. Oh God, are there going to be some gimmick units? Is there going to be some some giant, you know, Wild West spider crawling out. Boy, that of a that armored somewhere. train did feel like a uh, real Blitzkrieg uh, type moment, didn't it? Um, yeah, I, I think like it is. It is a fun. It is a fun campaign. Some of this persistent stuff is is, is kind of nifty. Uh, of course, it's ahistorical. Like you never had a core commander being like, uh, so how many guns do we pick up in the last battle? Let's sell them so I can buy so I can buy artillery. Uh, but it, but it is kind of a, a neat way to sort of uh, create some additional consequences for battlefield performance. Um, these scenarios themselves, I think, and this is an early, like this is early access. Like I suspect the campaign is in much much rougher shape than a lot of the individual scenarios. All the scenarios are not currently in like an equal state of polish. Um, but that first scenario, uh, it's a it's an early Civil War skirmish, and uh, Rowan, you had quite a bit of trouble with it, didn't you? <laughs> Well, I, I tried to start a union campaign, and I, supposedly the Philippi races, uh, which is a battle that historically McClellan's army just kind of showed up, and the Confederates were trying to sleep in their tents, and they heard some fighting and ran away. I think there were two casualties. Um, meanwhile, I start this scenario with a single brigade walking up a road with skirmishers on the cliffs facing them from both sides. Mm-hmm that I cannot, like, directly get at because they're behind cliffs, like, just raining fire on my troops. And then I get into this town, and there are multiple brigades, and then another Confederate brigade shows up at the end. And it's just, like, I think I had 3,000 troops in the scenario and lost 2,000 of them and lost the campaign immediately. And I was like, I'm just going to go try Fredericksburg out. 
Yeah, the the opening the opening scenario is definitely um there there's there's a few like early issues with it. One is you're you're trying to make a huge bloodbath of a battle out of what's historically kind of a skirmish. Uh, I managed because you warned me about what happens at the start of the scenario. I uh, I escaped the uh, the worst of these skirmishers on the bluffs, uh, which is a very last of the Mohicans uh, first battle type situation. You're just getting mowed down from both sides. Uh, I went through the forest and over the hill and took out those skirmishers and uh, then just sort of went down and began the assault on the town. Uh, but once I was past that, it, it was kind of a, it was kind of a fun scenario. Uh, had had to storm a town, uh, force two bridges, uh, deploy my artillery pretty cleverly uh, to make sure that I could I could clear sort of those bridgeheads. Um, where I started to get really concerned for where this campaign was headed, uh, and Troy's already alluded to it. It's 1861, and yet here in the first battle of the campaign, uh, the second half of the first scenario is. Uh oh! Look out! The Confederates are counterattacking, and they're bringing their armored train. It's the Land Merrimack. <laughs> I had to look up like armored trains in the Civil War. Was this like was this a big thing? The answer is no. It was not. It was not a big thing. The Land Merrimack does not appear to have been much of a thing. Uh, nevertheless, you have this opening scenario. That you're defending the town from multiple uh, Confederate counterattacks. So far, so good. It's hectic. It's demanding. Uh, it's cool. And then this big ass train rolls up. That's like just an enormous shotgun that starts rolling through your uh, through your lines, uh, clearing troops out. Not the finest hour for a Civil War game. I felt. Yeah, that was a bit of a weird thing. They, they did exist in the Civil War, but they were mostly stationary units uh, to protect um, you know, deployments of workers and uh, that were too far from the army, that sort of thing. They were, certainly weren't common, um, and you certainly wouldn't have seen them. It's not something you'd haul out at the first uh, engagement. Um, it's a very ahistorical battle of Philippi. I think it's mostly there to give you a bit of an early challenge. Um, you know, the... the I I took out the snipers the other way. I went up the big hill in the middle and just pushed those snipers down and waited for the other reinforcements to come on the left side, and then we marched in together. Um, or I used my cavalry to clear them, depending on what mood I was in. I've tried it a few times, um, and it's a kind of and the battle. It's it's it sets. It's like a lot of their battles. Once you reach like a certain point, it'll say, "Okay, enough of that. Now we're jumping you forward in time. You've progressed close enough to winning, so we're going to jump you forward in time." We'll say you've won it, and we're going to set up in a defensive position while the rest of the Rebs come at you. Um, and as you wait for more reinforcements. And it's always a bit of a disaster. I mean, there's no way to do that and not come out with a very, very bloody nose. It's not, you know, the kind of... It's 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 the Battle of Bull Run before the Battle of Bull Run. It is Union troops show up uh, and get butchered in ways I did not quite expect would happen. So that's, I think it's a little difficult. I think I would rather they'd started you not with the battle and started with you with build an army and the bull run and the other choices, bull run and something else. Instead of, 
having you start with, okay, first you've got to take this town, and that is not going to be easy, because I can see this discouraging a lot of people. I mean, Rowan's not some rookie, and he's clearly, I mean, I was annoyed by this. I tried, I, tried, I, I did very well the first time I played it, and then I couldn't figure the rest of the campaign, so I went back to just the scenarios. And then I went back and tried it again, and I lost. I couldn't figure out what I'd done differently. Uh, maybe it had been some rebalancing, or maybe I just suck. It is actually a very difficult opening battle. Um, and maybe they should skip that altogether, or make it some sort of some sort of training regiment, regiment or something. Um, because I think it will discourage the people from trying the campaign. Uh, well, and then I mean, it, it looks like this might just also just be a a tough a, a tough campaign because the crossroads battle yeah. uh, is is no slouch oh either. God. Now I cleaned up. Uh, like I, I did pretty well, but the interesting thing here, and this is where I start to get really interested in this campaign. Um, so the next scenario in the campaign is the situation where you have to defend like two Union depots uh, along the Manassas rail line, and there's a lot of Confederates coming your way. You start with a small defense force. You're just holding out till reinforcements can arrive, and then you can complete the evacuation. Uh, what's interesting is that. In between missions, you have the ability to replenish uh, your units. But the trade-off is that uh, if you replenish them with rookie troops, uh, they're going to have less experience. But if you replace them with veterans, it costs considerably more. <laughs> and veteran troops, uh, veteran regiments, get increasingly steep bonuses. Uh, they can become... They can start punching considerably above their weight. Uh, but the issue is... Civil War combat's pretty bloody any way you slice it. And so the interesting interesting thing I ran into during this um during this scenario at the crossroads was that the only way for me to really hold the Confederates at bay uh was to throw my best units into this meat grinder and just watch them get mowed down. Like both my both my like sort of top best regiments uh just ended up in sustained fighting the entire scenario. Uh, multiple hand-to-hand -hand engagements uh, probably suffered like 60% casualties uh, by, the, by the end of the battle. Uh, it was a real mess. And by the end of the battle, I kind of felt like, okay, I'd done well with the scenario, but these veteran troops uh, and some veteran commanders, it had just been a disaster. Like, they, the, like they were basically down to, down to scraps. All the officers were dead. Uh, and that was going to pose some interesting problems for sort of how I rebuild my army uh, and, and come back from that. Like, I'm not sure it totally delivers on that just yet. I'm not sure mm -hmm. I feel the, in what little I've played to the campaign, I feel the full, like, impact of all that, of those veterancy mechanics. But I can sort of see where it's going, which is that Civil War combat uh, is a meat grinder. Uh, it is difficult it's basically impossible for a unit to get stuck stuck in uh, and not come out pretty uh, pretty cut up, and I think this this does that this does that pretty well, right? Like your best units can can hold the line and they're the most reliable. Unfortunately, that also means they're the most likely to get absolutely uh, destroyed during some of those heroic holding actions. And to go to the battles in general. Um... It's just so important to pay attention to those, you know, those three little lines uh, at, at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And we talked in, in Gettysburg, but I think it's much more the the, the UI in, in the battles is just outstanding. I think this is just a really 
beautiful user experience. Uh, you click on a unit, in the lower left, you'll see the description of the unit, and there'll be you know, the three most important lines. It's a unit's uh, morale, a unit's cover, and a unit's con condition. And morale, we understand, and cover is how well predict protected it is. But the condition of your troops is, is just like in Gettysburg, it is so important. You cannot have... Even the best troops will get tired, and to keep mm -hmm. throwing them in and throwing them in. Yeah, I mean, a, a three-star uh, veteran unit will just make mincemeat of a rookie unit. They're just so good. They'll load faster. Uh, they'll stand against—they they won't route as quickly. They're going to be just outstanding in the field, but they'll get tired, and it's just not going to hold up. And it's just— Oh, everything about those, and it's all just so clear and so obvious. And the the the, the game will flash. So the little warnings of the, this unit's exhausted, exhausted, exhausted. Your units will run out of ammo, which wasn't mm -hmm. a thing in Gettysburg. So you need to keep pay attention to that. Where are your supply wagons at? Who has the guns right now? Um, who's who, should your units be holding their fire and waiting? Um, can they find? Is there any cover at all that they can use? And the way that all of these campaign issues spin down into one of a, a very, still a very elegant and I think much improved uh, battle interface uh, compared to Gettysburg, which I thought was outstanding. It, it just it all it all works together for me. I mean, there's yeah, there, there are a lot of things that need to work that rough points that need to be worked out, but I'm everything fits. I think. Rowan, where are you at with the uh, with the with this take on some war combat? I think that one of the things that I've noticed when playing the historical battles is that they sort of implicitly rely a lot on knowing what's coming. And this might be some of the problem with the sort of random scenarios in the campaign that are fictionalized versions of real battles, apparently. Um, so, like, if you know that, you know, the Confederates are really dug in in whatever scenario and you really have to knock them out to have any sort of chance at winning the battle, then that will change how you attack versus if you, you know, are just... Uh, if you know that you are supposed to take that hill and just, you know, rampage over the Confederates for a while before they counterattack or something like that. And this is something of a problem, I think, with a lot of the battles in the campaign. Problem might not be the right word. It's it's an issue. It's a it's a thing that has to be designed around is that, you know, some of these are incredibly famous battles where anyone with a remotely... Uh, competent understanding of civil war history will you know know the shape of antietam but that's not necessarily the case with even like a second bull run um which is actually a really interesting battle but it's rarely cited as one of the most important battles of the civil war and it's rarely studied at the or put into games at the level of a gettysburg and an antietam or a shiloh um and that the reliance on knowing what Knowing what the shape of the battle should be is exacerbated by something you talked about with the campaign as well. It's a sort of lack of information. Um, the game tries to kind of tell you what the overall shape of the battle is going to be or should be, but it doesn't necessarily like succeed at doing that for each individual scenario. Um, it copies and pastes a lot of the introduction 
material from Wikipedia, which is probably not wrong, but it, you know, when you're going in when you're going in as a as a player trying to achieve something, it's different from, you know, knowing that the premise is whatever. Like uh a lot of the battles are based around acquiring a single specific victory point. So you can make huge progress like wiping out the Confederate right at one battle, but the victory point is on the Confederate left, so you're not doing so well. Um, there's there's just a lot of little things that kind of... Uh, they feel like choices that are not quite fully formed about constructing the narrative of each individual scenario and then how that fits in with each individual battle and then eventually to the campaign, which I have not... Uh, engage with all that much but uh that's it's this weird sort of lack of connective tissue in a lot of cases that i think that the the early access needs to get that going before it can really shine and there there's a real magic hill attitude towards what a victory means and the victory is getting to that magic hill and then you get the wizard's hat and you be, are declared the winner um, and it's always an issue I have with victory locations in games, and it's kind of a shame they're so wedded to that here because locations on battlefields are important because the generals decide they're important. It's not like that farmhouse has like all the gold in it, so you got to take that farmhouse. It's that farmhouse becomes important because that allows us to cut off retreat, secure our own supplies, gives us command over something or other, um, and that develops as the battle develops. The battle that, the bull run that I fight, maybe, you know, that hill isn't such a big deal because, as you said, I'm crushing somewhere else, and I'm going to be using that to force my way uh, down south into Virginia instead of going that way. So some other location becomes important, but you know, it's, they've designed the scenario based around some sort of history, and history decided, you know, Henry Hill was a place that mattered, so that's what I've got to take. No matter how stupid it is that I take it, and then they say, oh, here come the Confederates, you better hold it. Well, I've already killed a million of them. Um, they're running out of men. I could, I could just retreat and declare this a victory. I could withdraw carefully and call this a win. I don't see why I need to hang on to that hill. Um so their commitment to that, I think, is, I mean, it's its a limitation I think all war game designers face when they're faced with making a single battle, um, that it becomes necessarily, I think, less dynamic than you would like it to be, which is a shame because the battles themselves are so dynamic and can go in a lot of different ways based on the actions that you, the player, take. Well, some of it, I think, is that they're they're not going into the kind of alternate history scenarios. The They have, like, one big battle, then you yeah. start at, like, the smallest point of that, and then most of their battles, Shiloh is the only exception that I've seen so far. Um, you, they, you start with, like, here's the initial skirmish, then here's, you know, one or two corps getting involved, and then here's... the the entire army is all trying to get involved and they're all kind of focused on that with this one area that's slowly expanding 
and you can get an alternate history out of that you know you can get the union has shattered the confederate left instead of the confederate right and then everyone sort of you know shifts their formation in response to that and the the engine is really good at portraying these battles as doing these things but the game itself does not say okay now that this has been done here's what here's the new thing that you have to do and you know uh, ultimate general gettysburg had these very specific scenarios many of which were alternate history sort of scenarios that said okay if the union has not actually held this initial hill then they have to counterattack immediately or whatever instead of you know moving back to seminary ridge and um this is uh this is a a thing where it's sort of feels like they've got the engine down they've got the maps down they have the basic shape of the battles the orders of battles that all works now they have to construct the next phase of that and i'm not sure if they necessarily will maybe they yeah i mean this is the one this is the one area i do worry uh a, a little bit in that i think to really what makes a game like ultimate general gettysburg saying and what made a game like uh Sid Meier's Gettysburg works so well, is that you do have this like branching campaign that not only does your performance sort of carry over in terms of uh, like like troops lost and and uh, casualties inflicted, but also that it sort of changes then uh, what the next uh, scenario is going to look like. You are you are sort of reshaping the battle uh, as as you change the outcomes of, of the of these individual uh, engagements. And I do wonder how deep this game is is going to dive into that, right? Because right now it sort of seems like you the battles are sort of chopped up into stages, but those stages still sort of funnel toward uh, the historical series of events uh, in, in each of these battles. And then at the end, uh, you know, the winner might change depending on how you've you've handled your forces, but ultimately you know you're going to get it so far at least it looks like you're going to get one battle of antietam one battle of bull run uh and well, two but <laughs> good point one <laughs> battle of first bull run uh and i think ultimately this is going to have to have some branching uh battle structure within those historical battles in addition to uh in addition to sort of maybe a campaign that branches, which begins to sound like a hell of a lot of work and begins to, uh, you know, trip some of those those warning sensors uh, that that uh, lit up when when Rowan and I first heard about this. Um, I did also want to throw in that I'm not sure what this game is going to do with variability. Uh, in terms of the way these scenarios play out, because it's interesting that this the, the the game itself, the engine, a lot of it is about line of sight and reconnaissance, right? Like skirmishers are an important mechanic here. It's useful to have uh, cavalry to go and you know look what's behind that forest, right? What's down that road? Where is the enemy? And that's great the first time you play a scenario. The first time I played Shiloh. It was really, really cool where it's sort of set up being like, we don't know where the Confederates are, really. They're out there somewhere, uh, but we're not really sure where the attack is going to come from. So, I don't know, maybe defend everything and see how that goes. 
it, it doesn't go well. <laughs> but where that's going to break down is if the Confederates appeared down the same road each time with the same units each time, uh, then you're not then you're not having the experience of that Civil War general um, uncertainty, right? You're not going to have, you're never going to be Harry Heath uh, trying to figure out that whether that Confederate militia, that whether that uh, you know Pennsylvania militia is actually the the uh, Union Army. You're never going to have that moment, and I think that's I think that's an important moment. I think that's one of the things that makes uh, Civil War wargaming really interesting, uh, which which is that. It is a very chaotic. Uh, it's 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 a very chaotic form of war. Uh, it's very rare that commanders have a good idea of what they're getting into, and where where the enemy actually is. Robert E. Lee's campaigns only make sense. The outcomes only make sense uh, when you factor in the fact that nobody really knew anything <laughs> about the about the other side's dispositions, and uh, the guy had uncanny instincts. And I question, at least so far, whether this game is going to bring that to life. But if you're fighting, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, but if you're playing an historical battle, if people want to play the historical Fredericksburg, mm-hmm. or the historical Shiloh, I mean, it's not like you would have the invasion, the 1940 invasion of France, and they say, oh, surprise, Hitler, there are more French tanks than you expected, and they know what they're doing with them, um, you know, just because, because they're, they're the Maginot Line is always going to be there, and it's always going to be staffed by these people, and it's not going to be a shock. It's a different mm-hmm. era, more intelligence, more information. But I mean, take it back to other battles. Take it to, you know, Battle of Waterloo. Would you want a Battle of Waterloo where everything's set up, but it's a little bit different, and no one quite knows? Do you want, do you want Blucher to sometimes not show up? For playing an historical Waterloo game? I kind of do, or at least okay. I, want, I want a Blucher... I want to be able to say... We're going to play the historical version where Blucher shows up. Uh, but you at, don't know when. What was it, 3 p.m., 4 p.m.? Mm-hmm. He arrives pretty late in the day, but they've been fighting for a while. Uh, where Blucher shows up right at the historical time. And I want one where like Blucher's arrival is really variable. Uh, he could show up early. Um, or he might delay right. for ages. That's one thing. I, one thing I like in Gettysburg, and what I think was in Sid Meier's Gettysburg as well, is that you didn't know when a battle would end. Sometimes there would be extra time added on. Yeah, like there were too too some too many red cards, I guess, thrown on the Army of Northern Virginia, and you get you know an extra minute or two to win the battle or lose it. Um, I thought that was always nice. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually on your side. I do think a little more variability would make things interesting. And you could just have a little box, you know, click the box, just, um, historical variation. But one of the um, things that makes uh, Gettysburg such a perfect battle for games like this is that Gettysburg is, you know, a meeting engagement. Both sides are arriving at roughly the same place at roughly the same time, and they're both confused, and when you put that into a game, this means one player starts deploying down whatever road, and the the other player is going to be deploying in a defensive position, and it might be the exact historical disposition of those troops, and it might be that they decide to march a slightly different way. They, you know, put the strength of their division on the left instead of on the right and then everything has to kind of adjust to that whereas most battles in the civil war are one side's attacking another shiloh antietam um first bull run to a certain extent definitely second bull run although the sides switch over the course of that which is part of what makes it so interesting but in general you have you know one side assaulting another um and there's also some 
incompetence alongside the confusion that is difficult to model. So I started doing Fredericksburg last night after I failed at the campaign. And uh, um, the first battle is kind of a little, you know, drive the Confederates out of the Fredericksburg town. And then the the second scenario is the attack on the Confederate right. Um, And historically what happened is one corps attacked and made a brief breakthrough and then was pushed back um there was another corps there that was supposed to support the attack and the general decided that that meant he was going to hang around and help them retreat he did not actually attack but in ultimate general civil war both of those corps are available to you so you can hit the confederates in the center of their line for that scenario at just like historically speaking and immediately follow that up with a a massive attack on their left and you know push them back now what should the game do in this case like the general should have done that um i think it was franklin that might not be right but um whoever it was that was not doing the support just didn't do that and like should those troops be available in that scenario should that be a box that you check when you start the scenario all troops available or whatever and this is also true for antietam which is a battle that in many ways was so bloody because mcclellan's army took so long to entirely get involved um and that's not true for gettysburg which basically until the last day when i think uh meade had a couple corps in reserve um everyone who showed up was immediately tossed into the meat grinder and that's an issue that the game is going to have to deal with and it's a difficult one now i should say this is kind of nitpicking because what we have is a really good collection of maps with a really good civil war combat engine this is a game that has a really solid foundation right now and it's just like these sort of last five percent design decisions that are going to make it whatever it turns out to be in the end Um, i think right now this is probably an exceptionally good game for a multiplayer where you can kind of decide with the person you're playing a lot with who's winning whatever battle that's Um, great because i really need to I, I really need to play Fraser uh, in this again. <laughs> that dude doesn't know anything about the American Civil War. Like, I mean, he's as lost as I would be trying to play a Culloden uh, game. Like, it, like it was so good just watching. Like, literally, he was the he was the Confederate on the first day of Gettysburg, and he literally had no idea what was defending uh, McPherson Ridge. And I was like, oh, this is sweet. This is the first and only time I'm ever going to be able to sort of LARP. Uh, the uh, <laughs> Lark the historical Gettysburg. Um, and going back to something we said about the historical variability, um, I think Ultimate General Gettysburg did this as well, but uh, Sid Meier's Gettysburg had one of my favorite moments of kind of alternate history sorts of things. So there were multiple victory conditions in each scenario, and there was like the main one that decided which your next scenario was you know confederates win at mcpherson's ridge and then go on to attack seminary hill or confederates lose and you know and so on um and there were also these side ones like okay you can ca- you can capture the main victory point or you and these other ones will help you out and i had one battle where i was consistently winning the kind of the 
casualties and driving Union troops off and taking all the side victory points, but I was basically going almost entirely historically according to the main victory points, which meant that like I had massive advantages in troops and kind of all the alternate victory conditions and so on, but I wasn't technically winning those scenarios. And then it gets to pick its charge on the last day. I have, you know, Pickett's new troops and I think Anderson's division uh, was in pretty good shape because I'd won the early battles or did well in the early battles. They show up to Pickett or they show up to the center of the Union line. The Union's just retreating down the road. They they just already bailed. <laughs> so I, I had like won the tactical victory at Gettysburg before Pickett's Charge even became necessary. And the game, I don't know if oh, the game awesome. was bugged. I don't know if that was an intentional thing. It's like, okay, if if the Confederates have held all these things and the Union should just take off. But it that happened. And so I just sat on... Uh, I forget exactly which the main victory point was in that scenario, but I just sat on that for like five minutes and won it and got the pretty good victory for the Confederates, which I had won. Like I had, I had done that. And I think because Gettysburg is such a specific battle, because both Sid Meier's Gettysburg and Ultimate General Gettysburg are so focused on that, then they have all these little alternate victory things where, you know, if you have taken whatever hill that might not be the main point, um, you'll still have troops on that hill and that won't be a victory condition in the next scenario. There'll be a different victory condition in the next scenario. Things will be all slightly different the deeper you get into it. And this ultimate general civil war just doesn't have that yet because there's so many battles and they seem to be trying to get more battles and as well they should like it only goes through the end of 1862 right now um and you know we need to get chancellorsville in there uh well and, and i think that's like it's an interesting thing because i start the show by saying like don't listen to gamers but then i'm like but totally totally listen to us uh <laughs> we're critics we're, I think for me, I would prefer. I don't care if this game goes past 1862. Like, I would be more excited if they were like, uh, the 1863 like DLC is coming like next Christmas or something. But in the meantime, uh, here's a bunch of really deep uh, s- scenarios. Like, I mean, just imagine the different branches that the Seven Days can take. Oh, but uh, the full-on several days oh, has been like a dream of mine. Oh, just imagine it. And this is this is kind of like what I get really excited about uh, when I, when I see this is if you deepen those uh, scenarios because I think like I'm like in when it comes to wargaming, I just I I love really really well-designed scenarios. I think that's always more interesting than trying to cover an entire damn war. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a single a single battle or a single part of battle can be way more interesting than uh. Than, than sort of scaling up. And I think that's that's kind of what I want to see here. You know, I'm, I'll be more than happy uh, to play uh, Shiloh like 12 times uh, if there's, you know, three or four different paths that battle can take. Uh, then, then I will absolutely keep coming back. Uh, I'm not so sure that I'll be into it, as into it if it's sort of the same, uh, the same set of maps uh, each time. Shiloh is a particularly interesting scenario here, or a battle with different scenarios, um, because like I said, all the other ones seem to follow this pattern of small, medium, and large basically Mm -hmm. being their 
the three scenarios. Whereas Shiloh goes from, I think there are four scenarios, and it goes the Confederate left attack on the left at the start, the Confederate attack on the right at the start, the Confederate attack at on the left at the end of the first day, and then the Confederate attack on the right at the end of the first day. And that's a totally different design from the other ones. And I don't think it really works right now, but it's something that I think is is a more interesting model for trying to do these battles. Mm-hmm. Um because especially because if they can make those battles those different attacks seem like they interact and get you know in-depth scenarios and then maybe add the second day of shiloh it's kind of important um then you know you have you have a a really interesting model whereas um, the small medium and large thing is good for battles like first bull run which are not huge battles to begin with but with antietam it's just kind of like I'm doing the entire attack now. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's a challenge and I think it's a challenge in, in part because like <laughs> the Civil War is really the last war of its kind uh as far as I know. Like the the Franco-Prussian War a few years later is already starting to turn into a modern war in a lot of senses, right? Where like right. battles are are more of these uh, larger scale things that happen over the course of days um, as a series of uh, army and core level operations unfold, which are just too big to have this conception of like, oh, there's one battlefield where this was all fought. That's just not that's just not the direction war is moving uh, in this era, and the Civil War, you know. Is is kind of the last. It feels like the last war where you can really say like, "Oh, there's this one battlefield." But even there, in a lot of cases, you're kind of stretching it, right? Where it's, you've especially once you get to 1864. Yeah, exactly. And even certain, certainly, like, uh, you know, the the seven days is, uh, you know, a series of um, a, a series of operations basically unfolding simultaneously uh, in this really am- ambitious combined arms amphibious um, assault. And I think that starts to cause some problems in that if you are trying to cap- cover everything that's happening all at once, uh, the, int- the, the it's 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 unwieldy. It just it just can't it can't be managed uh, without some really unsatisfying abstraction or uh, or scaling but at the same time if you carve it up too much it starts to feel like you're missing the forest for the trees it's it's a difficult balance to strike and i definitely started to notice it with like um antietam in particular where they show you the entire battlefield uh but then you start um, sort of consuming it in these bite-sized chunks as it scales up. It's an interesting approach, but uh, I'm 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 not sure. I'm not sure it's quite. I'm not sure it's a hundred percent there just yet. Yeah, I mean, then like you have the Overland campaign, which I ended up down a Wikipedia rabbit hole last night, <laughs> refreshing my memory. And this is basically for six weeks, Grant is attacking Lee, then trying to move around his left or his yeah. right, expanding his left and then attacking. And so you have four pretty distinct battles, including one at Spotsylvania. That's like two weeks long. Although there are like 
two specific days of major um, yeah. engagement, but um, it's basically sort of the same thing. And then at Petersburg, it goes into you know a nine month siege, and it's still exactly the same thing. Only the battles are much smaller scale because Grant has realized that uh, you know fortifications are bad things to attack these days, and. So you you have this dramatic change in the conception of you know how the wars should look and how battles should behave. You, and... you touch on you touch on something interesting there because I think we've been talking about how satisfying this uh, this engine is, and I definitely agree. Like, um, I think what I really like about it is it sort of captures the um, uh, dynamism of a civil war battlefield. In some ways, you know, troops mm-hmm. run out of supply. You need to be thinking about like where are they going to get their next, uh, you know, wh- where are they going to safely restock rounds? Uh, for instance, um, they get tired. They they need a few minutes of rest. Uh, soldiers break and run, but they don't like completely rout. They they just retire to a different part of the battlefield while they uh, get their act together. And I think something this this engine does really really well is managing that flow uh, is really sort of the the general's art uh, in this game. Your units are going to get freaked out and, and shatter. They're going to get too tired to carry on. Uh, it's about sort of, you know, knowing when it's worth breaking them uh, and knowing how to husband those resources as, as best you can. And that all works... I'll be very curious whether it still works or how the how the game system needs to adapt for some of those um late war uh northern virginia battles. It, it, like you have these things that are you're in 100% cover with just like walking into, you know, some rocky terrain well what's what are the earthworks at Spotsylvania going to be like 200% cover because yeah, they probably should be. Probably doesn't work. Probably at that point you just need to be talking more about, um, you know, what Sherman's army up to is up to and Sheridan <laughs> yeah. and such. I mean, um, just just I a scenario you... where you lay waste to to a southern capital would be cool with me. <laughs> Here <laughs> are it'll be like the scouring of Stratholme or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> Here are a thousand sixty-five-year-old Confederate troops in a brigade, and here is your army of forty thousand men. Enjoy Atlanta. Yeah. Ooh savannah or whatever atlanta the confederates had an army there but after that not much but uh yeah Ultimate general I, 1865 let's face it will probably <laughs> not be the most satisfying dlc <laughs> like maybe the good guys win i'm fine with it yeah yeah I, I, i'm not sure there there there's even a reason to include a battle from 1865 I mean, I think yeah. they've said they're going to have like battles of Richmond and battles of Washington. To, like, well, so I haven't even touched campaign like off. Fredericksburg, but I imagine like Cold Harbor will just be like that times, you know, that square, uh, basically. And I'm not even sure, like, is Fredericksburg a good battle? Because I just don't see how it could be. Well, I like I said, I I I did the first attack, which is the one that the was actually like a legitimate battle, and the last scenario i assume is the one where it's just the massive charge on entrenched confederates that is nothing but i didn't get to that because i was so annoyed by the ability that i had to win it because i had two core attacking instead of one and that's just not um mary's heights is a lot of fun it is 
Yeah, well, maybe on the Confederate the side. Well, on the Confederate side, it's actually it's kind of a close run thing because I don't think I think they're kind of really undermanned, and the AI is you know it's smart enough to you know set a whole bunch of guys in one direction and not just spread out everyone to get killed. Uh, it is a real. It is a meat grinder, and the Union will take a lot of casualties. I have played it for the Confederate side just to see how good their defenses were, and they were pretty good. I imagine as a Union general, it would be very easy to win because I would just send you know f- 10 brigades into one place and just turn it. So, you know, as we wrap up here, we've had a lot of criticisms, but as you pointed out, Rowan, like, Overall, this is this is pretty strong. What we're talking about is that five to ten percent uh, that can can really tip this from being like a good offering to to a truly great one. And I do feel like uh, this game is pursuing two tracks that I both really like. I think the campaign uh, could be a really fun. Uh, like Panzer General slash XCOM-esque take on uh, the Civil War. And I think the historical battles uh, could shape up pretty nicely if those scenarios are maybe fleshed out a little more. But those are two tracks where if either is really delivered on, or if both are delivered on, uh, I think, you know, you're, you're, you're entering, like, all-time great territory uh, there. And that's that's kind of where I'm at, is, like, I like what I see. I'm also really hopeful for what the final delivery looks like. I would like to see yeah. I would like to see multiplayer on the battles if possible. Uh, I'd like to see an editor. I mean, I tweeted I'd like to see you know, Mexican American War battles. Mm. And people do that, I and mean, they could have stuff from the Indian Mutiny. This, this, this could be Age of Rifles type stuff going on. Oh man, um, you're thinking big. I like it because if there was an editor, you could change the because they already have this full suite of weapons. Just change the uniforms, have the map editor. There's a whole. There's no reason why because they've shown they can do the modular battle type thing, why not, you know, do an Age of Rifles type expansion, do Mexican-American War, do the Indian Mutiny, do, you know, the Zulu Wars, for God's sakes. Maybe, oh, as man. you say, maybe, as you say, don't go as into stuff as core and army heavy as, you know, the Franco-Prussian War or the wars of um, Italian uh, in- independence. But there's no reason why this... This is a really good rifle war game. And it just happens to be about the greatest of the rifle wars. Um, there's so much uh, stuff there. So, in, 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 I mean, look what, what pe- editors and modders have done for, for Pike and Shot. There yeah. are all these, all these different campaigns and battles and modules for Pike and Shot, which is a really good game, just a, still has a bunch of issues they haven't fixed, which is the biggest one being units always look the same size, no matter how damaged they are. They've really got to fix that. It's a graphical problem that still bugs me. But this could be that. They could they could take advantage of that if there's some editing uh, tools here. This is, I mean, it's early access, but I, it's going to be very hard for this not to be my favorite game of 2017 if it comes out. Well, yeah, I mean, it's definitely like already. I like, I damn near wanted to say like this is one of my war games of 2016. I was like, easy, easy. I mean, I tried to. What else? I mean, there's. I'm sure there's other stuff coming out this year that I don't even know about. That's going to. I mean, war, Total Warhammer surprised me and was outstanding. Um, and so did Rule the Waves. Was Rule the Waves? But this is, you know, beginning of the, late last year, beginning of this year. This is a game I, I keep coming back to. I mean, I must have played uh, first bull run like 
five or six times. I've probably played Second Bull Run a bunch of times. Shot Antietam's just too big. I just cannot get my head, even, even chopped up. I just cannot get my head around Antietam, but, but I've started it. Um, there is just, I, I want this to be, I want everybody to be playing this. Um, I, I mean, it, it, I don't think it'll, it might not reach that all-time classic level where I think Ultimate General Gettysburg is, which I think is, I mean, that is a, I think, an all-time classic war game. But there is just so much talent here for, from, from game labs. I mean, the, the, this, probably more than people talking about it, makes me want to play naval action. Because, hell, if they can make this work, maybe they can make naval war work. Well, uh, naval action is cool. Like, I have played it. Uh, I I dig it. Uh, Crucial thing, um, this is uh, Darth Maud Nick Tomatis uh, making this game with with the Game Labs team. Uh, But I think it's still, I think it's still like Nick's sort of overall uh, design and and philosophy here. Uh, Naval action, I think, is a little more uh, from uh, the, uh, I I think I want to say Ukrainian side of of the business. Um, (laughs) And... So just different different design. Like Naval Action right. is a ship sim, uh, and a hauntingly yes. awesome, gorgeous one. Uh, so I think Naval Action's well, cool. Like well, I, maybe, I would maybe, I would check maybe, that out too. Well, but maybe, maybe you and I should take uh, take some ships out. Yeah, some of the like go on go on uh, YouTube and look up some of the uh, multiplayer sessions that have been recorded, uh, and also just some of the epic flame wars that have unfolded over uh, ship handling. Uh, in, ah! in large fleet engagements, uh, there's some there's some good shit. Naturally, <laughs> there's. <laughs> did you not see? Did you not see the signal I hoisted at 6 a.m.? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> oh my! It's like, it's like Eve Online on sea. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, see, for me, I think this could surpass uh, Ultimate General Civil War uh, Gettysburg easy if they if 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 they deliver. Like half of of what's on the offering here, like I think they easily top uh, Ultimate General Civil War. Like, well, I mean, this is kind of General a dream game, which is why I think we're being hard on it. Kind of a like, don't mess this up. Yeah, like uh, yeah. I I don't know about you, Rob or Troy, but you know I had that American Heritage Civil War with the painted battles and oh, all the how gorgeous. those things. I looked at the, I looked for those has pictures it, on the has, internet, and how, it, like there are no like high quality scans of them. I don't know why people have not done that because they're so amazing. Everything's all those boring bars and lines and whatever. And, God, there's I feel like in the yeah when I was a kid there were so many good like almost like military history picture books uh, that were that were really vivid and lifelike, but. And that definitely, like, I think that's maybe one reason why this series resonates so much with me is uh, just visually, it looks like those books. Well, that was Sid Meier's goal with Gettysburg initially, is that he said he loved those pictures as a, as a kid, and I don't know about it as a kid, I don't know when they came out, but he loved those pictures and wanted to say, say you know, here's a game that looks like that. And Sid Meier's Gettysburg really, really looked like that, and Ultimate General is a direct descendant of those, and as well as it should be, that was great. Um so, like, I've had that dream. You know, Shiloh was my first war game as a kid. Um, the SSI one. Uh, Battleground Shiloh? No, no, no. The the one from the 80s. Oh, wow. Okay. That's Grant's Trial in the West. Um, yeah. The, the old SSI shit. Sometimes um, I wonder how old you really are, Rowan. 
<laughs> I mean, I think I'm like between oh, you a, and that Troy. Is, that is an old game. That, yeah, that's like 87 or so. Yeah. Yeah. I played it. Roan was actually raised by an Amiga. You, you must have uh, which five. You were, makes everything make sense. You were, what, five? I was seven or eight. I mean, I might have gotten it a couple years later. Right, of course. So Because, you know, didn't have the internet to say what was new and fresh and the only things that you should play right now. I recall but his the father, days. the Commodore 64, suggested <laughs> that he play it. It will make a man out of you. <laughs> but I was, like, reading Civil War history books in second grade and stuff, so. Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think so, like already, got... like I'm as if you if you're cool with like the early access caveats, like I'm already like cool endorsing this. Like I am happy this is my life. I keep playing it. Uh, I'm just hoping that it it gets to where where I see it, it might be able to go. Yeah, I think that the early access thing is key here. Um, if we're talking about that, their main goal is basically to have a pretty good campaign connected to all the battles they're putting together, and that's going to be the final release when they, you know, finally get whatever their last battle is, Nashville probably. Um, then, you know, I'm not sure that's going to be an all-time classic. <laughs> Cold Harbor but, is one of their uh, promises. Yeah. But- Buckle well, up. I, I think Nashville is the last major army on army engagement of the Civil War, and the only one where the losing army just disappeared. So uh, that would be where I would end it if I was, you know, making a list of the important battles that you had to have in a game like this. Um, but anyway, if they're just trying to do that, then I'm not sure that that's going to be, you know, the dream game that we wanted it's still going to be a really interesting game and we'll like it a lot because we already like it a lot but if they're if they want to go in and start doing like you don't have to do full-on gettysburg you know 20 different scenarios but if they add like a couple alternate history scenarios to each of these battles if the union does well here and if they go into like making their victory point system a little more interesting and dynamic as opposed to just this is the victory point that was in the war initially so this is the one that you have to go get um that's the sort of thing that i think is going to shift this to like truly classic and that that doesn't require the campaign and maybe they really want to have the campaign be good the campaign being a classic would be great as well they need to fix that first scenario because oh my god uh but it's you know it's it's on its way it's a lot of fun right now and it could be if you know they do exactly the things that i want them to do could be a goat uh, it could be a goat (laughs) i hate that word uh that will do it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with more strategy and hopefully more wargaming discussion. Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, you can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode of 3MA. Until then, for Rowan Kaiser and Troy Goodfellow, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight and Happy New Year.